Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Focus on Albany. I'm Cynthia Pooler. My guest today is Blair Horner from Nyberg. And uh, Blair is going to talk about uh, Governor Hochul and ethics in New York State government. So, Blair, it's been a little while since we spoke. How are you doing? Well, you know, all things considered, uh, well, uh, the pandemic, of course, continues to rage. So that's been preoccupying my mind is to make sure everybody stays stay, stay safe. But um, pretty good. How about you? Not too bad. Not bad at all. You know, I keep up with what's going on. So we have a new governor. And... I would think that in New York State government might change. What if, what's your overall view of what will happen under uh, Governor Kathy Hochul and ethics in New York State? Well, yeah, it's there's informal ethics and then there's formal ethics. So uh, Governor Cuomo, when he, when he, as he ran his administration, it was very much a rough and tumble crowd, and according to the New York State Attorney General, you know, unprofessionally so and unethically so. Um, and I assume on the informal side, uh, Governor Hochul will operate a different administration. My guess is, like all governors, she'll be tough, uh, but they, uh, I hope, certainly, and my prediction would be that they'll be less unprofessional and less unethical than their predecessors. Um, on the formal side, you know, clearly the, the system didn't work uh, because normally when you have ethical guardrails, no matter how people want to behave, they stay within the guardrails because they're afraid if they don't, they get into trouble. And, uh, you know, clearly the guardrails didn't work under the Cuomo administration. And so hopefully Hochul will make this a top priority. I mean, she has ethical issues that have to be dealt with too, uh, potential conflicts of interest with you know with her husband and uh, some of her staff's uh, spouses, but you know so she has to make sure that the system works right for her and for everybody else. Um, tell us a little bit about what uh, the governor's husband does, and if that might present a problem. Well, Governor Hochul's husband works for a company called Delaware North. Delaware North is a big operation and they have tens of millions of dollars in government contracts with New York State. They're involved in issues like um, uh, casinos and uh, various you know, services they provide to state government directly. And so it's a big company. They have, they're Buffalo-based. They have a lot of business before the government. And her husband is the general counsel to Delaware North. So when Hochul was lieutenant governor, you know, the co- potential conflicts of interest were relatively small. The lieutenant governor doesn't have any, certainly under the Cuomo administration, didn't have any real authority other than to run around the state and cut ribbons. Uh, but now that she's governor, the potential for conflicts of interest is much larger. Uh, and uh, the uh, Delaware North has as its lobbying firm a company called Bolton St. John's. And uh, one of the partners there is the husband of the governor's new chief of staff. So, you know, 
we live in the 21st century and people are going to have careers, you know, and they shouldn't have to quit their careers if uh, their partner is going into public service. But there should be independent evaluation that's publicly accessible about, you know, how the relationship, professional relationship, um, interact. And that's what's absent right now in terms of what Governor Hochul's doing with regard to Delaware North and whatever else, you know, what other potential conflicts may exist in her administration. Uh, she, she needs guidance on how to do that. And she can't just give us, just trust us sort of response. We would never accept that from anyone else. There's no reason why we should accept it from her. Uh, there needs to be, you know, formal written uh, guidelines as to how uh, Delaware North should operate and how the state should operate vis-a-vis uh, Delaware North. And so uh, that is a big issue. And the, the fact that there is no such public guidance, as far as we know, uh, is, I think, a big problem for the governor. So the uh, govern- Governor Cuomo, um, back when he was first elected, was saying that New York State government will be transparent and fickle. What happened? (laughs) It didn't happen. (laughs) I mean, every governor that comes in is a reformer when they first start because they don't have to defend the status quo and they want to make changes to the status quo. And so they make arguments, public arguments about what they're going to do. And you're absolutely right. Governor Cuomo, when he was first elected in 2010, Uh, said he was going to clean up Albany and operate the most transparent state government in New York state history. And he was coming on the heels of former Governor Patterson, former Governor Spitzer, who both ran into ethical problems uh, as governor. And so it was a smart thing for Governor Cuomo to say, uh, but they never really lived up to those standards, Mm -hmm. at least what people expected the standards to be. Uh, And, um, and, you know, as a result, I believe, as a result of them not really being serious about those promises, uh, they created traps for themselves. And people misbehaved, staff and the governor. Uh, and uh, according to the state attorney general, uh, violated the governor, violated state and federal law. And so, you know, this is a problem. It's like, you know, people are people. You know, you're going to have your devils, you're going to have your angels, and then there's the rest of us in between, the vast bulk. And to get the rest of us to act right, uh, there needs to be clear guidelines. There needs to be an uh, independent enforcement of those guidelines. And in New York, you have neither. Uh, And so that's an issue that the new governor should fix. So how long did you realize that Andrew Cuomo did not live up to his promise about an ethical government? Well, you know, it's it's always hard to say. I mean, the, as you may recall, and as your listeners may recall, one of the first things the governor was involved in, and it's not clear how much, but he was involved in something called the Committee to Save New York, rolled out in January of 2011 and was organized to be sort of a counterweight to the public employee unions. And we do now know that at the time, the real, the real estate industry was behind it, and Governor Cuomo then then Governor Cuomo uh, was involved in um, helping put it together. To what extent, it's not clear. And, you know, there was a big fight over that right out of the box in January of 2011 because groups like ours were saying, well, what they're involved in is lobbying. They should report and register their activities. And there was all this blowback from the administration attacking us, me personally. 
And, you know, I mean, it's elbows out when you're dealing with politics in New York. It ain't beanbag, as someone once said. Uh, but that was sort of an indication that, the, you know, the, at least the administration didn't rule, view that the rules applied to them in the same way it applied to everybody else. And that's a dangerous way to view things. Uh, the rules are there for everybody, not just for some people. And you shouldn't be using the powers of the government as a weapon uh, against um, people who disagree with you on policy. You shouldn't be doing it at all, I suppose, but certainly not for people who disagree with you on policy. And I just think that they created an environment in which uh, people thought of themselves as above the rules. And over time, it just kept getting worse, and so much so that it created what the state attorney general called a toxic work environment. Uh, and one in which, you know, bad things happen and people behave unprofessionally. So with our new governor, do you expect a more ethical government? Well, I mean, that's our ex- that's our expectation for every uh, administration, and I think that's a reasonable expectation for the public to have. I mean, the new governor has said that she's going to operate in an open manner uh, and has said that she's you know, going to improve the state's ethics and has issued some executive orders to that in that way. And so, you know, she's only been governor for a week and a half. <laughs> you, know, the, the, mm-hmm. you know, the details matter and the track record matters. Uh, the promises are great, but the track record matters. And that, that we don't have one yet because she's only been governor for, you know, eight days or nine days. And how long... Do you think her honeymoon period is going to last? Well, I mean, that's a good question. I mean, you know, to some extent, you know, the real the, the real world matters the most, right? I mean, does the pandemic get a lot worse? Are we going to have more horrible hurricanes? Uh, that may force uh, her to make difficult choices. And when you have to make difficult choices, the honeymoon period ends sooner as compared to later. I mean, just but assuming that nothing occurs, uh, I I would think that the governor would be in uh, pretty good shape to you know put together an administration and to sort of move ahead until she had to roll out her has to roll out her budget in January because that's where again she's going to have to make tough choices and that's where you create enemies. So assuming that there's nothing extraordinary or there's no self-inflicted wounds uh, between now and the end of the calendar year, I would think that she would have. Um, uh, an opportunity uh, to be in, you know, as popular a shape as she can be going into the unveiling of the new state budget in the middle of January. So her time in which she has to prove herself is going to be a small window because I'd say at the beginning of the year when she does her state of the state, there might be challengers who might step up and, and run for governor. Would you say that was an accurate assessment? Yeah, I, I think the governor has to get out of the blocks for, you know, really aggressively and deliver as an administration for there's a wide range of issues that are were left festering uh, by the um, uh, controversies that eventually engulfed Governor Cuomo. There's a lot of things that have to be cleaned up. Uh, she has to put a new administration in place. There are investigations still ongoing. They may implicate current staff. We don't know yet. 
Uh, and so she has a tough hand to play. There's no doubt about it. She's from Buffalo. She's more of a mainstream Democrat than the more liberal New York City type Democrats. And so that puts her a little bit less likely to be in step with the party. Uh, she you know, became governor under extraordinary circumstances. She has to clean house and staff up and get a budget done and deal with all the festering issues all simultaneously. And you're right. She has to have a pretty good head of steam going into the end of the calendar year, in, not only in terms of producing as, an, as a governor, but also in raising money uh, so that any potential challengers would think twice about taking her on. New York State's primary is now in June. And if someone is going to put together a primary challenge to an incumbent governor, they're going to have to make decisions before the end of the calendar year. So I think the next two to three months are going to be critical for the new governor uh, and the Democratic Party in terms of whether or not they can unite behind her or they're going to try to knock her out. Uh, Obviously, a bloody primary uh, could help Republicans. Uh, And, um, you know, from the party's perspective, that's not good. I don't know how this is all going to play out. Of course, it all ultimately comes down to how well she and her administration performs, not only in the basic things that have to get done, but in whatever, you know, what other wild cards get uh, played, such as, you know, the storm, the uh, tropical storm Ida that just hit New York City. People died. uh, Roadways are flooded. You know, subways are closed. Mass transit systems shut down. That's something you can't count on happening. You know, they're going to happen, but you don't know when. So how she handles mm-hmm. these kinds of situations will drive a lot about how people view her positively. She'll have an easier time raising the money to fend off a challenge. When when uh, Patterson became governor, it was almost overnight because I don't think he expected it. And I think Kathy Hochul expected to for something um for something to happen with Andrew Cuomo would you agree on that yeah i i i agree i mean patterson i mean the, the what happened with spitzer turned on a dime you know one day he's i mean he had his issues and he had been in a lot of deep fights with the legislative leaders mm-hmm. but the the controversy that ended up ending his tenure came out of nowhere and he stepped away within a week. In this case, the investigations started a year ago. And so it had to have been in Hopeful's mind that the possibility existed that Governor Cuomo would have to leave office. And so she did get some time to at least think about it. But she couldn't be out of step with the governor. So she couldn't put together her own team. And one of the challenges she faces now, and she's you know putting people in place, is to sort of get her administration moving and staffed up in a relatively short period of time. So even though she had maybe time to think about it and prepare herself personally for it, she couldn't really do anything about it until it was clear that Governor Cuomo was going to leave. And when he, when the state attorney, attorney general report came out, within two weeks he was gone. So it clearly is the case that, you know, things move quickly for her. But she, you know, she just is hiring or still hiring top staff. She just hired the director of state operations yesterday. Uh, and, um, you know, it's hard to get an administration going if you don't have your top people in place. And so she's still dealing with that. So it's true. Patterson had a tough hand to play. Spitzer left very quickly. Patterson became governor and it was at the, it was near the end of getting the budget done. Local has 
had at least some opportunities in her head to think about it. And she has some time to get her act together in terms of a state budget. The hands are both hard to play, but they are different hands to play. If Cuomo was still in office, he would have been in his final year of his third term. And uh, Kathy Hochul is in her first year of her first term. What do you see on the horizon for this coming legislative session? Will she be addressing any issues that Cuomo had thought of doing? Well, you know, there's a bunch of issues that did not get resolved in this year because of the controversies Governor Cuomo and I, you know, whether or not Governor Hochul makes them her priorities, who knows? She dealt with it in the special session this week, um, getting uh, providing impetus to the uh, new the new agency that's going to handle the the legal sale of marijuana in New York. She got her appoint appointees through, or the person who's going to chair the board and the executive director, and so that should get moving. And that was an issue that had been festering for over a year. But the big thing for the gov- for Governor Hochul is going to be the budget. There's no doubt about it. And that is going to be, you know, that's going to, the biggest policy thing that she's going to have to deal with is going to be that. Um, and, you know, how she deals with it, I, you know, is anyone's guess. There's still federal money sloshing around in the state coffers, so she shouldn't be facing a big budget deficit. be a happy budget. But, it, you know, again, anytime you do a budget, you're, you have unlimited demands and li- limited resources. So you got to tell some people no. Uh, and that's why I said earlier that I thought the honeymoon would end around then, because I think that's when she's going to face some potential pushback. But I think the big issue for her is going to be the budget, because if, it, if it's a relatively well put together budget that gets done on time, I think that pushes her a long way toward being in good shape going into a potential primary in June. By the time the budget is passed, um, the petitioning process will be almost over, right? Yeah. Yep. That's, That's amazing. Right. Uh, um, well, and and, so, and the other big issue next, the other big issue next year is going to be she's going to have to approve the new district lines for under redistricting uh, for right. Congress and the state legislature. Now, that, the deadlines on that uh, in the state constitution from 2014 were based on a state primary in September. Now it's in June. So all of that stuff, the budget redistricting, that's all going to be happening simultaneously in early 22. And so she's going to have her hands full dealing that. That's why I think if she's in, if the public is viewing her positively and she's delivering the goods as governor and she's raising money, or her for the election of 22, I think those things are going to matter more by the end of this calendar year than next year, because if someone's going to challenge her, they're going to have to make that decision pretty soon. And, right. um, and, and that does, it doesn't give anybody a lot of time to sort of wait uh, because, you know, to just to put together the petitioning and the whole statewide apparatus to run, unless you're already a statewide elected official, like, Tish James or Tom DiNapoli or Chuck Schumer or Kirsten Gillibrand, it's really hard to do unless you already have that apparatus in place. I heard the name um, Jumani Williams mentioned. What do you think? 
Well, he he ran against her for lieutenant governor and almost beat her. Right. She won. I mean, I shouldn't say almost beat her. He ran strong. He ran a strong challenge to her in uh, uh, in 2018. Uh, And he has been making noises about that. But again, it's very hard. I mean, he's New York City public advocate, so he has a citywide operation. And the bulk of the vote in the Democratic primary comes from New York City. But I think his decision is going to vote, is going to be a result of what's happening in the Hochul administration. Again, to roll the dice to take out an, a popular incumbent of your own party in a primary is a very steep hill to climb and creates more long-term enemies for you than if she's wounded for some reason, self-inflicted or otherwise. Then I think Jumani Williams might get in. And then there's the interesting issue with issue is if you know a number of candidates get in, do they smoke wins the primary anyway? There's a lot of variables in, in when you sort of game these things out. But from Hochul's perspective, she has to deliver the goods as both a political figure and a public figure, and that's the best way she can, I think, prepare herself uh, for a potential challenge in the primary and, for that matter, in the general as well. You had mentioned redistricting a couple of minutes ago, and Andrew Cuomo kicked the can down the road on that issue. So what's in store for Kathy Hochul? What does she have to, what does she have to do to make gerrymandering a little more democratic? Well, I assume when you say Democratic, you mean small D, not big D. Um, and sure. she's already said to Newsday about, about a week ago, last week, she said that she was going to help Democrats, big D, capital D. So I don't think right. she's doing uh, redistricting as this political science exercise. I think she's viewing it as a way for her to exert political muscle to help Democrats, both in the state legislature and in Congress. Uh, and so I don't think she's going to be interested in looking to reform the system in a way that, you know, good government groups might want to see it. I think she's looking to use redistricting in a way where Democrats will cheer what she's doing. So the uh, phrase, three men in the room, is no longer the case, right? <laughs> That's exactly right. We now have two women and a guy, um, and uh, and it's definitely you know whatever indicate. I mean, for years and years and years, it was always three men in a room, and there was always at least one Republican and at least one Democrat. Now you have all Democrats, majority female, majority non-white, uh, and whatever you know, whatever gives you a sense of where New York State is going to the future, it's when you look at the leaders that we have, the elected leaders that we have in New York State, increasingly diverse, increasingly democratic, as New York gets increasingly blue. So uh, with with um, the, the three men in the room, the concept of three men in the room, uh, when, when the state Senate became democratic or before that when when um andrea stewart cousins 
was the leader. Uh, Cuomo did not invite Andrea Stewart Cousins to the t- table, but invited Jeff Klein. Is that is that correct? Um, when Jeff Klein was the co-leader, uh, Jeff Klein, for your listeners, is a former Democrat who was a state senator. Right. Uh, who was the head of the Independent Democratic Conference, so-called. Right. And uh, these, this rump group of Democrats were in alliance with the Republicans, and that's how the Republicans had the majority in the Senate. So, yes, Klein was involved as a leader of that group with the Republicans to be involved in those discussions. So I guess in those days you had four men in the room. But, but it's my understanding, maybe I'm wrong, is that, Cuomo did not invite Andrea Stewart's cousins. Am I correct? Well, I don't think the minority party was involved in a minority conference in, at all in the, those negotiations. I don't think Stewart Cousins was, and at the time, the leader of the Assembly Republicans, Brian Kolb, I don't think he was either. And the budget negotiations so, were between the, and have historically been and were this week. The discussions were between the majority conferences and the governor. So Governor Hochul, when she did her, uh, you know, they passed legislation in special session, the Republicans were completely cut out of it because now they're the minority. So it's going to be interesting to see what she puts in her first state of the state message. Um, do you yeah. have any any insight or any thoughts on Exactly what she'll be saying? I really don't know. I mean, you know, it's a long way from here to then. And, um, you know, things can change. I mean, you know, in 2020, if you told me that there was going to be the once-in-a-century pandemic, you know, I, I would have been surprised. Right. right. So you never know, right? But I, I, from her perspective, it is going to be, I think the major speech to set the tone for her real for her election campaign, and um, so I, I would expect it to be uh, both touting the successes that she has had in terms of turning around the state, and I assume she's going to want to talk about things she's done to make Albany less um, unprofessional. But, you know, beyond that, it's hard to say. I mean, the substantive stuff, I don't know if she's developed that yet. And a lot of it is going to be, you know, whatever the Governor Cuomo had on the shelf and just hadn't acted on. Okay. So, Blair, our time is almost up. So why don't you give yourself a little plug? You're you're with Nyberg. Tell, Tell everybody what you do and how they can contact you. Uh. uh Sure, thanks. Um, I'm the executive director of NYPERC, New York Public Interest Research Group. Uh, I've been there since May of 1979. And uh, if people want to contact me, they can do it via email at bhorner, B-H-O-R-N-E-R, bhorner at NYPERC, N-Y, P is in public, I is in interest, R is in research, G is in group, dot O-R-G, bhorner at nyperg.org. Blair, thank you. Thank you again for coming on Focus on Albany. I, I always enjoy talking with you. And I'm sure as the uh, Hochul administration unfolds, we, we shall be talking again. So you've been listening to Blair Honer. I'm Cynthia Pooler. This is Focus on Albany. And if you like this show, 
like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter. Thanks, Blair, and thank you, everybody. Thank Have you. a great day.